I'm wondering if you've been dishonest this morning. Now, it's not really your fault. We, we made you do it. But while we were singing these songs, we sang songs about, I'm leaving my doubts behind. I'm leaving my fears aside. And maybe you were singing those words, but that's not really honestly where you're at. Maybe you're struggling with doubt. Perhaps you're on a journey that God's asked you to go on, uh, maybe a journey of struggling through a health issue. Maybe it's cancer. And maybe when you first found out that you were being asked by God to walk this journey, maybe you felt like a superstar Christian. You, you had great faith and you thought, you know what? <clears throat> God wants me to walk this journey. He's going to be there with me. He's going to support me. I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe the elders are going to pray over me and there'll be a miraculous healing and the cancer will be gone. Maybe I'll go through the, uh, the, the miracle of modern medicine and God will use that to bring healing in my life. Maybe God won't bring healing, but, but as I approach uh, eternity, I know God will be with me and his presence will be there with me and he will be uh, very tangibly, noticeably there. And maybe you've, you've gone on for many months and it's been going great in the sense that People are saying, how, how are you making it through this? How are you doing this? And you just feel, you said, well, God just supported me and I feel, I feel strong and I feel like he's with me. And every day when I get up and I have to face that chemo or when I have to go through those things, I feel like God's right there with me. And you've been asked to share your testimony and you've gone to different places and different groups and shared how God's been so real to you during this time. But maybe in that journey... At some point, you and me went back to the doctor, and the doctor found that the cancer had spread, or they hadn't got as much of it. Or maybe you just, they discovered the chemo wasn't really working. Or maybe you've gotten to the point where the pain is more than you can take. Or maybe it doesn't look like there's going to be healing of any sorts, yet God's very tangible presence doesn't seem to be as much with you anymore. And suddenly you started off so great, but now there are doubts in your mind and you think, have I, did I do something wrong? Have I sinned? Was I, was I wrong to think that God was somehow going to do something amazing through this? Maybe God's going to do nothing amazing. Is there something I've done to make God sort of leave? Is he, is he not want to be with me during this? Should I not have been sharing my testimony? Should I not have been getting up and testifying about how much God's done? And it's possible to be living in a state filled with doubt. Last week, we asked three questions about joy in the midst of suffering. Do you feel shielded by God's power and sustained by his grace? Do you believe that God is good and do you love God more? And maybe while other people around you last week were shouting amen, in your heart, you were answering those questions with, I don't know. I thought I knew but I don't know anymore. It doesn't have to be cancer. Maybe God has uh, compelled you to share the gospel with a friend and you've been praying earnestly that she would come to faith and you've been looking for an opportunity that you could share the gospel with her and you feel like God has, has lined everything up so that you can do this and so you sit her down and, and you say, look, I want to share something really important uh, with you. And it goes terribly badly. Then instead of her just not listening... It creates a barrier between the two of you and she's offended that you're trying to push your religion on her and suddenly there is this rift in the relationship and you begin to, Lord, did I hear you wrong? Was I not supposed to do this? 
Am I not, am I not good at sharing the gospel? Did I mess up? And doubts can cloud our minds. It can come, like in Jim and Lee's case, asked to go on a missions trip, a short-term missions trip, and asked to do something, and you think, but where would I get the money to do that? Can my health hold up? Would, be, would we have anything of value to be able to offer uh, in that situation? Maybe you've been begging God for children. You've prayed earnestly that God would provide you with children, and He did, and you saw that as a great blessing from the Lord. But suddenly they showed up, and now there's panic. I don't know that I'm qualified to raise these kids. Or maybe they've gotten a little bit older, and you've begun to see the incredible intensity with which the world wants to destroy them. And suddenly there are doubts. I don't think I'm up to this. I don't know how anybody can do this. And, and there's fear. How can I protect my children? How am I, how's God going to work in and through this? And instead of this steadfast, sure confidence, it's doubt and fear. Maybe it's a job situation. And you felt like the Lord was leading you to this new job. And you followed him and you obeyed and you stepped down on faith. And then you got there. And your boss is miserable. And you're beginning to wonder, did I, did I not hear God right? Is, is God not going to rescue me? Was this just something God wanted me to go through some very difficult, painful period? Maybe it's a financial situation. and Maybe God's blessed you with financial prosperity and you have been what he wanted you to be, which is a distribution center and not a warehouse. And God has been pouring out his financial blessings and you have been generously distributing to other people. And somewhere along the way... The going out has continued, but the coming in has stopped. And suddenly there are doubts. What's going on? Does God no longer want to use me in this way? Was I, was I somehow unfaithful? Has he just abandoned me? Will there, will there be any more financial blessings coming? I'm trying to do the right thing. You see, last week when we were in 1 Peter 1, we had phrases like, who through faith are shielded by God's power. The proven genuineness of your faith. Though you do not see him, you believe in him. But the question for us this morning is, what about doubt? What about if our experience in the midst of suffering is one of extreme doubt? Well, that's the question we'd like to answer this morning. That's the topic that I feel like God has for us. So if you would, take a Bible and turn to the book of Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. If you're using one of the church Bibles, it's page 796. Matthew chapter 14. And I told you at the beginning of the sermon series that this was primarily going to be a sermon series from the writings of the Apostle Peter, but it's also in part a sermon series from the life of the Apostle Peter. And we want to be careful not to divorce what God is saying to us through Peter from what God was doing in Peter. And so today we're going to look at a very famous story, the story of Jesus walking on the water, in which the apostle Peter features prominently. And we want to use this story to hear what God has to say to us in situations where doubt may be the primary emotion that we're experiencing. Matthew chapter 14, I'm going to read beginning in verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up to a mountainside by himself to pray. 
Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Now, what Peter is going through here in this situation where he's in the boat in the middle of a storm and walking on water, even though there are huge wind and waves all around him, is really characteristic of what we are talking about this morning when we think about situations that God may have called us to. Now, you may be listening to this text and say, well, I don't know about God calling him to do this. Wasn't this Peter's idea? (laughs) It is, but what happens in this text is masked a little bit by our translation. In verses 28 and 29, it literally says, Lord, if this is you, Peter replied, command me to come to you on the water. And then in verse 29, it's an imperative. Jesus commands him to come. Now, it's true, it's initially Peter's idea, but Matthew's trying to tell us Peter is going to walk on water and go through this experience at God's command. And if you're walking through the journey of cancer, you're doing it because God has asked you to walk that journey. If you are trying to raise your kids in the fear and knowledge of the Lord, you're doing it in response to the command of God. If you're trying to be faithful and generous at this job that God's led you to, or you're trying to be uh, generous with the prosperity that God has put in your life, or you're going on a short-term mission trip in response to a request to serve the Lord, you're doing what Peter was doing, which is responding to the command of God. Now, if the situation that you're in, where you're experiencing doubt, is one because of disobedience, if you're sleeping with someone before you're married and you're experiencing doubts about that relationship and your relationship with God in life, that's not what we're talking about this morning. That's something else. What we're talking about here is is when we're on those journeys in life and we're being asked to walk roads of suffering or difficulty and in the midst of what God is leading us to do, we find ourselves in a place of doubt. Now, Peter is not only commanded to walk on the water, he actually does it. Now, we can miss this because we can focus on the fact that he did end up sinking, but Matthew makes it clear that Peter is successful at the beginning, that he stepped out of the boat in faith and miraculously stood and walked on water. And sometimes it's easy to overlook You know, there's only two people in the history of the universe, 
as far as we know, who've ever walked on water. And Peter's one of them. It's pretty great. He gets out of the boat and he walks towards Jesus and he's actually standing on the water. So too, if you've been asked to walk the journey through cancer, you may be off to a great start. You may have stood strong in the midst of a storm and in the waves and you may have been walking at God's command towards him in the midst of the suffering and you've had a great first six months or six years or whatever it may be. But at some point, Peter sees the wind and the waves and maybe there was a a sudden gust of wind or an extra storm or whatever and his eyes are taken off of Jesus and onto the waves and maybe you, if that's your story about going through cancer, you've had a great first six months or whatever it may be and then you go to the doctor and you get a different piece of news. Or maybe in the financial situation that you're in, you thought you were going to make it and God was supporting you and then the banks call with another piece of bad news and at some point your eyes are taken off of Jesus and onto the wind and the waves and and Peter begins to sink and Jesus says to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? And the story doesn't end up being so much about, hey, Peter, good job on the first half, not so great on the second half, let's work on the second half, but all all, all together, that's probably B, B minus. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus uses this opportunity to discuss doubt. And so this morning, we want to... I want to give you four observations about the nature of doubt from this passage. Four things that the Lord has to say to us today from this story. Number one, doubt is the experience of every Christian. Doubt is the experience of every Christian. All four gospel writers tell the story of Jesus walking on water. Only one includes this bit about Peter, and it's Matthew. And that's because in Matthew's gospel, more than any of the other four, Peter is pushed to the forefront and shown to be the first among equals of the apostles. He is clearly, according to Matthew, the chief apostle. He is the lead apostle. He's the one who does most of the speaking. He is the one who is involved in most of the stuff. It's Peter in the forefront. And the reason why Matthew includes this story is Matthew's trying to tell us, look, the chief apostle struggled with doubt. It was a real experience. Every Christian goes through periods and seasons of doubt. And it's not just Peter. John the Baptist. John the Baptist, the greatest person, Jesus said, who ever lived this side, that side of the cross. John the Baptist, the one who was boldly proclaiming in the face of everybody that Jesus was the Messiah, the forerunner, chosen by God and specifically revealed who Jesus was that he might proclaim it as a prophet. John the Baptist, when he's languishing in prison near the end of his life, actually sends emissaries to Jesus. Remember what he tells his disciples to go ask Jesus? Are you the Messiah? Or should we expect somebody else? Can you hear the doubt in that question? Are you the Messiah? John the Baptist, that's your message. (laughs) 
This is what you've been saying for these years. And now at the end, John the Baptist is starting to say, yeah, I started out great, but now I'm about to lose my head. And he's thinking, if you're the Messiah, wasn't this supposed to work out differently? Am I supposed to be in prison here all by myself? It's doubt. I love Jim and Lee Kingma and their story. 89 years old, going back on the mission field. But here's a godly couple who've walked with the Lord for a long time, who when they got this assignment, were filled with doubts. Are we too old for this? Will we be able to raise our money? Will we be able to handle it? You turn on the news and you hear about mole bombings and you hear about violence going on in Kenya. It just fills you with, it doesn't matter how long you've been walking with the Lord. This week, on Monday, huge doubts about the sermon. That's how I knew the sermon this week was supposed to be about doubting. <laughs> Finally, on Tuesday, God woke me up. He's like, this is why you're going through this. This is what we're supposed to be. It doesn't matter who you are. Doubt is the experience of every Christian. You see, sometimes we give doubt too much emphasis. Now, I'm not rationalizing doubt. I'm not justifying doubt. But we need to be aware that the opposite of faith is not really doubt. The opposite of faith is refusing to believe. We get that language in the scriptures where we talk about those who believe and those who refuse to believe. John says those who believe have eternal life. Those who refuse to believe are condemned already. If this is true, full on solid belief, the opposite is the refusal to believe. Doubt is somewhere in between. Doubt is the struggle to believe. It's the attempt to get to the ideal. And in such a case, doubt is not to be equated with the sin of refusing to believe. This is why in Jude, verse 22, we are commanded, be merciful to those who doubt. Now, if God's commanding us to be merciful to others who doubt, how much more is God merciful to us when we doubt? Now you say, well, well if that's the case... Why does Jesus rebuke Peter for doubting? Well, that's because of principle number two. Now, I think when you hear Jesus say, why did you doubt? You can hear it in a harsh tone or you can hear it in a merciful tone. I'm hearing it in a merciful tone. Why did you doubt? But still, it's a rebuke. And the reason Jesus rebukes Peter is because of the second principle about doubt. Doubt robs us of power, peace, and joy. And it causes us to be afraid. Doubt robs us of power, peace, and joy. And it causes us to be afraid. Now, Peter, follow his journey. When he's on the boat and the storm is there and there's somebody walking to them on the water that looks like a ghost... Peter is afraid. It says everybody on the boat is terrified. Jesus then allows Peter to walk on the water. When Peter steps onto the water and it holds him, and he takes another step and he's still there, imagine the elation. 
Imagine the joy. Imagine that all that fear has just melted away. This storm's not going to get me. Jesus is here, and Jesus is helping me to walk on the water. I'm doing great. Imagine just the peace and the joy and the excitement and exhilaration. The problem is, is that whenever that next wave came or whenever, whatever it was that took his attention off of Jesus and onto that one, when that came, it says that he was afraid. And doubt threw him right back into where he was in the boat. Maybe even worse, he became afraid. That's what doubt does. This is why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 21, verse 21, truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but you can also say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. Doubt nullifies our ability to exercise that kind of power. It robs us of power, peace, and joy. This is why Paul talks about a shield of faith. A shield of faith with which we can extinguish the fiery arrows of the evil one. Now listen. Those arrows that Satan is firing at you and at me cannot kill us. He doesn't have the power to do that. But they can cause you a lot of pain. If you take down that shield and you get hit with arrows of doubt and anxiety and fear, in the midst of the battle, suddenly you can have an unnecessary loss of peace and joy and power and be beset by fear. Faith is the shield that protects you from that pain. Doubt is lowering that shield and getting hit with it. Third principle, and this is the most important one, so star this one. Doubt does not prevent God from saving us. Doubt does not prevent God from saving us. This is an important observation from this passage. Peter is not going to drown. He's not going to. Jesus has already promised that Peter is going to make it safely through. His doubt does not put his life in danger. As he's sinking in the water, Jesus doesn't say to him, Peter, I'm here to rescue. Quick, quick, believe. Stop doubting quick before it's too late. He doesn't do that. Peter's doubt does not affect Jesus' ability to rescue him or his willingness to. Peter is not going to die on that lake. The only thing doubt does is affect his experience. He's going to get safely back into that boat. He's either going to do it walking on the water or sinking in the waves, but he's not going to drown. Peter doesn't know that, but Jesus does. And Peter's doubt does not in any way endanger his rescue. This is why in Matthew 6, when Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough of its own worries. God knows that you need these things. Look at how he takes care of the birds of the air. Won't he take care of you? And the point is, it's not conditional. As long as you don't doubt, God will take care of you. The point is, look, God is going to take care of you. You worrying about it is not going to help one way or the other. Exactly. 
The more you worry about food tomorrow does not mean you get more food or less food. It has no effect on how much food you get. That's the point of doubt. Doubt does not prevent God from doing what he's planning on doing. Take the most famous example of doubting in the Bible. A person who is so associated with doubting, it ends up in his name. Doubting Thomas, poor guy. But ask this question. Did Thomas's doubts prevent Jesus from saving him? No. Thomas said, I cannot believe unless I see the holes in his hand and the scar on his side. And Jesus said, okay, fine. Here they are. His doubt did not prevent Jesus from saving him. What did the doubt do? Remember Jesus said, you believe because you saw. Blessed are those who do not see and believe. There's some aspect of blessing that Thomas missed out on because of his doubt, but it didn't in any way affect whether or not Jesus was going to save him. If God has asked you to walk the journey of cancer, your doubts or worries or fear are not going to change what God's going to do. He's already promised he's never going to leave you or forsake you. He's already promised. It's not like he's like, well, I was going to heal you, but you just keep doubting, so no healing for you. That's not what he does. That's not how he acts. God has promised he will help you as a parent to raise your children in the midst of a world that is aligned against them. Your doubts and my doubts will not cancel that promise. Even when we are faithless, God is faithful because he cannot deny himself. If God has asked you to switch jobs and your job is going poorly and you begin to be overcome by worry, your worry is not going to change what God is planning on doing by having you switch jobs. It's just going to make the experience a lot worse. If you've shared the gospel with somebody in response to God's love for them and it's gone poorly, it's not going to affect the outcome if you begin to doubt. It's just going to give unnecessary lack of peace and fear. God has said, I will not allow any trial or temptation to come into your life that will overwhelm you. I will never give you something more than you can handle. And when it comes, I will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. My friends, that's not a conditional promise. There's no condition to it whatsoever. God doesn't say, I'll provide a way out as long as you don't doubt. He doesn't say, I'll not give you something too overwhelming as long as you don't doubt. He doesn't say that. He says, I will not do it. And doubt does not prevent God from saving us. All it does is make the experience worse. It doesn't change it. Peter can either walk on the water or he can sink in the waves, but he's not going under. Jesus won't let it happen. He says to the Father, all those you have given to me, I have protected all the way through. Even when we're faithless, God is faithful because he cannot deny himself. Number four. We go through doubt so that God can save us from doubt. We go through doubt so that God can save us from doubt. 
in verse 31, the word for doubt, where Jesus says, why did you doubt? This exact word is only used one other time in the New Testament. It's in Matthew chapter 28, the close of this gospel. Jesus has been crucified and is raised from the dead, and he's called his 11 disciples now at this point. 11 disciples, uh, the apostles together to commission them and give them the great commission, and this is what it says. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go, where when they saw him, they worshiped him. Look at this. But some doubted. Now look, you got 11 apostles who are standing face to face with the risen Jesus. They watched him be crucified, and here he is appearing to them in the flesh, the resurrected Jesus. When I say that doubt is the experience of every Christian, this is what I'm talking about. Eleven apostles looking at the risen Jesus eyeball to eyeball are still struggling with doubt. But notice it says some of them. It doesn't tell us which ones. But here's my guess, and it's only a guess. I don't think Peter's one of them. Have you ever been to the doctor and the doctor told you that you're gonna have to get a shot? And perhaps she was kind enough to tell you that it's only gonna hurt for a minute or for a second. And in your mind, you're thinking, oh no, 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 it's gonna hurt a lot more than that. And you start thinking about this shot that's coming and suddenly you begin to panic and there's fear and you begin to doubt whether or not she's telling you the truth and you're worried at how much pain this is going to cause you. The fact that you're worried about it, that doesn't change anything. You're getting that shot one way or another. Whether you're panicked about it or not, that shot is coming. But the point is, is that after the shot is over, after you've been through that experience of panic and fear and doubt, After the shot is over, what do we all say? Oh, it wasn't that bad. That's what we do, isn't it? The point is, is the next time you go to the doctor and she says, I got to give you another shot, at some point you're going to realize she's telling the truth. That all this worry and all this panic is just, it's not affecting whether I get this shot or not. It's just making the experience worse. And at some point you begin to trust. You know what? I think she does know what she's talking about. I think she is reliable. In Matthew 14, it says that everybody on the boat, after they get back to the boat, everybody worships. Same word as in Matthew 28. But Peter doubted. In Matthew 28, it says everybody worships, but some doubt. What I think Peter is doing is Peter has already been taken safely through doubt. You see, he's been commanded to do something that no human being has ever done before. He's been commanded to walk on the water. And the part about the story that we sometimes miss is not only was he successful at the beginning. Let me ask you this question. After Jesus picks him up out of the water, how do they get back to the boat? They walk back on the water. How else are you going to get there? Jesus walks Peter back to the boat on the water. Here's the point. Peter has already come to experience the fact that when God commands you to do something, he will make it happen. And your doubts and my doubts will not prevent him from doing what he's wanting to do. 
So here they are standing, getting ready to be commissioned, and God is commanding the 11 guys to do something that no human beings have ever done, which is change eternity. And a number of them are thinking, I can't do this. The wind is too big. The waves are too high. I'm going to sink. But when it says there's at least one person who didn't doubt, my guess is it's probably Peter. And Peter's thinking, I've been through this situation before. I've been commanded to do something that I didn't think was possible and I doubted. And you know what? My doubt didn't affect things in the least. God still did what he was planning on doing. That's the point. God allows us to go through doubt so that he can rescue us from doubt, so that we can realize that what God is doing in this world does not depend on whether we doubt or not. And at some point we wake up and say, you know what? All the doubt is doing is causing me unnecessary lack of peace, lack of joy. It's robbing me of power. It's creating fear and it's creating worry. And at some point, God speaks to us and says, I'm going to rescue you whether you doubt or not. I'm going to take you safely through this cancer. And if it means I bring you safely to heaven, if it means I heal you here, I'm going to accomplish it. I'm going to use that gospel presentation in the life of your friend. I'm going to use this new job to bless you and not to hurt you. I'm going to walk you through this financial trial so that I might be gracious to you and generous to you. Your doubt is not going to affect what I'm doing. And at some point, when we go through those kinds of situations, it creates faith. I don't know that Peter could have gotten to the point of not doubting without going through doubt. And the reason why I think doubt is the experience of every Christian is because the only way to get safely through the other side is to know experientially, despite my fears, despite my doubts, he still showed up. He still showed up and rescued me. And if this morning you're here, and this is your week, maybe last week, was your week and you're like, yes, I feel shielded, I feel loved, I feel, maybe this week you're like, yeah, it's me, I doubt. What are you supposed to do? Well, you do what the man who wanted Jesus to heal his demon-possessed son did. Jesus said, all things are possible for him who believes, meaning you can have power through faith. And the man is honest enough to say, I don't have enough faith. Please help my unbelief. Please help me overcome doubt. I'm not rationalizing doubt. Doubt is not the ideal. The ideal is strong, firm, steadfast faith. But it is the experience of every Christian. But God is merciful to us when we doubt. Jesus does not rebuke the man. He simply encourages him and helps him to have faith. And if you're here and you're in a season of doubt and you're in the midst and the wind and the storms are big and the huge, your prayer and my prayer is, Lord, help my unbelief. Help me in the midst of this doubt. And perhaps God's response back to you this morning is this. I will rescue you, whether you doubt or not. And when you hear that, not as my promise, but as God's promise, it creates faith. It creates belief. So last week I asked you to take a few moments at the end of the sermon and answer some questions quietly in your heart. This morning, I'd like you to do something similar, but this time I want you just simply to close your eyes. And I want you to listen 
to what it is that I think God is saying to you this morning. I think God wants you to hear. My child, the doubts and the fears and the worry that you are experiencing is not going to add one hour to the length of your life. All it's doing is creating unnecessary strife and worry. I will rescue you, no matter whether you doubt or not. I will not leave you, I will not abandon you. You will not drown, I promise. I have let you go through this season of doubt so that you might know that I show up to save whether you doubt or not. Don't be afraid. I'm here with you. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your spirit speaks through it to our hearts. God, we all know the reality of doubt. I pray for those who are here this morning who are wallowing in it. Lord, perhaps this week the storm has intensified. The waves have gotten higher. The water has seemed more slippery. Lord, I pray in the midst of this storm, your word from Matthew 14 would draw their attention off the wind and the waves and back on you. God, now is your chance. This is your chance to speak words of comfort. I pray, Lord, that as uh, your people are reflecting on your word, that you would help our unbelief, that you would cause us to realize that you are at work and that even our doubt cannot stop you. God, I thank you for your amazing sovereign power and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.